Building passive income and wealth through real estate is sponsored by our company, Perpetual Wealth Capital, where we help everyday people just like you build generational wealth and cash flow by passively investing in the very best multifamily opportunities. Download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Building Generational Wealth and Passive Cash Flow Through Multifamily Real Estate by either clicking the link in the show notes or visiting thedefinitiveguidebook.com. Hey investors, and welcome back to another episode of Building Passive Income and Wealth Through Real Estate. Today, I'm sitting down with Brian Briscoe of Four Oaks Capital. Now, Brian is a retired Marine veteran of 20 years and co-founder at Four Oaks Capital, an investment firm that specializes in multifamily real estate that brings huge returns for their investors, unmatched tax benefits, and focuses on building true, meaningful wealth. Brian is also the director of a multifamily educational community, the Tribe of Titans. Brian, we're really excited to have you here. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. So Brian, tell us a little bit about you, your background, and your investing history. Usually the best place to start, you know, to give the full story (laughs) is uh, probably college timeframe. You know, I was going to school, got a bachelor's and a master's in math, and I was on my way to a PhD. I was in a PhD program. And I wanted to be a college professor because I enjoyed teaching. I was good at math. And so I figured best of both worlds, I'm good at math. I enjoy teaching. Boom, college professor, (laughs) right? But September 11th happened. And I was a reservist in the Marine Corps at the time. And I decided to go active duty, which put me on a completely different path than I had intended or I had even imagined. So I ended up going active duty and three to five years or four years afterwards when I was able to get out, you sign a commitment when you go active duty for, I think I signed four years, but when I was able to get out, I was making about the same amount of money as I would had I stayed in school, gotten a PhD and gotten my job. And I started thinking about my options and I'm like, okay, I'm making exactly right now what I would make if I go back to school for three or four years, get my PhD, and then get back out to the workforce. Just didn't quite make sense, and the numbers just didn't add up for me. So I decided to stay in for one more tour. And I basically put my finger on one job among thousands in the Marine Corps and said, if I get that job, I'm going to stay in. Otherwise, I'll go look for a new job. And the Marine Corps gave me the exact job that I wanted. Along the lines in that first four-year tour, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And what I ended up deciding to do is, as long as I was in the military, I decided that every time I move, I would buy a house. I'd buy a house. I take advantage of the lending that allows homeowners to get in for two, three, or 5% down and be able to start adding assets to my portfolio. And so that's what we did. It wasn't until I had been in the Marine Corps for about 12 years that I really committed to going to 20 to get a retirement. And the retirement system in the Marine Corps is like a light switch. You get nothing until you hit your 20-year mark. And then all of a sudden, when you get to 20 years in one day, you flip the switch, light goes on. It's like, congratulations, you get a pension, you get health care for life, you get all these other benefits. So really where multifamily came in is about four or five years ago, I was on one of many deployments and I was just re-examining finances. I was re-examining where we were with, here are our properties, here are our assets. And I realized that in order for me to meet the goals that I had set many years ago, 
we weren't aggressive enough on acquiring assets. One single family home every three or four years wasn't quite building the wealth that we wanted. And so I put a lot of time and effort into educating myself. I was in a spot where I didn't have reliable internet access. Like once a month, we were able to get reliable internet access. And that once a month, I would get on Amazon. I would spend $100, $200 on every single real estate book that I could get my hands on. And over that seven-month deployment, I probably read 100 different books on different real estate strategies, different investing strategies. It wasn't just largely focused on real estate, but it was also on other investment strategies. I walked away from that deployment thinking, you know what? I think multifamily is the best route for us. It's something that I understand. I understand apartments. I've lived in apartments. I've managed single family homes. It's just like taking a single family home and multiplying it by 10, putting 10 units under one roof. So end of the day, I put a lot of more effort into educating myself, joined a mentorship program where I got more curated content, more directed content on exactly what I needed to be doing on a day-to-day basis and what I needed to do to get a first deal under contract. So yeah, I mean, long story short, that's how I got into multifamily investing. Along the way, I met three other guys and we formed Four Oaks Capital. And brushing by a couple of years and just summing it up, right now we've got nine properties worth roughly $40 million in South Carolina and Georgia. So I fully retired nine days ago. So that's the 30,000 foot view of my story, you know, looking out of your airplane window, but there but you that's go. really common. I mean, and I was in the military as well. I was in the Marines, not nearly as long or seasoned as you, but that's a very common strategy is every time I move, I'll just buy a home. And then you have great yeah. loan programs being in the military and it's really not a bad strategy, but I like what you said about sitting down and looking at the numbers. Okay. Realistically, if I buy a couple of single family homes, maybe a year over a couple of years, Will that get me where I need to be? And most people that are sitting in our shoes in the multifamily space, Mm -hmm. they determine that, no, I either want to get there faster. I want to get there better. I want different benefits. And that's what kind of leads us all here. Most people do have that single family experience as well, though. I want to touch on something that you sort of brushed by, and I don't think gave enough credit for kind of building that Four Oaks Capital team, because you guys are very effective at that. So when the multifamily space I network a ton. I've met you. I've met, I believe, all the partners at Four Oaks Capital to some extent. And that's a really important part of getting to your investment goals is building that team. So talk us about the beginning, building the team. You're brand new in the business. What's the best way to go about meeting other people who you can all help get to each other's goals? I think just putting yourself around other like-minded people. I was a member of several different groups or clubs or masterminds or whatever you want to call them. But it was basically trying to network with a lot of people. And the conventional wisdom says that you want to match yourself with somebody who's your opposite. If you've got strengths in one area, you want somebody who can complement yourself. But that's the opposite of what we ended up doing. I ended up meeting Eric Shirley in one of these groups, one of these masterminds. It was a multifamily specific mastermind. And we talked a couple of times and, you know, we both branded ourselves as deal finders. This particular group, you're either a deal finder or a capital raiser. And it's not quite binary like that, but we both branded ourselves as deal finders and we were both looking for people to help raise capital. But what ended up happening is we realized that we were looking in the same areas. We were talking to the same brokers. We were underwriting the same properties and we were competing with each other. 
And we realized when we started comparing notes that we had been competing with each other for three or four months, every property I had submitted an LOI on, he had also submitted an LOI (laughs) on. So what we decided to do was just collaborate. We're both deal finders. Let's collaborate on finding a deal. And so we started sharing notes. When I found a deal, I'd take my first crack at it, send him my underwriting, the offering memorandum, the T12s, whatever documents the brokers gave us. And he'd do the same thing. And it got to the point to where we got comfortable working together. And that was really what it was. We got comfortable working together. And when we got that first deal under contract, it didn't take us too long to realize that we had a good thing going. And when I met Eric, Eric had already had a business partner. That was Brian Mallon. And so obviously when I decided to work with Eric, I also decided to work with Brian and Brian's a very talented person. He's, um, he's kind of like the glue for four Oaks right now. He's the one that keeps everybody on track, but basically that's how we came together. And when we got the first deal under contract, we started looking at the numbers and we're like, Hey, we're going to have to raise a million and a half, maybe $2 million. We could use somebody else who could help us raise capital. And that's where Eric's like, I think I know a guy introduce us to Todd. So that's how we came together. And after three, four or five, I don't know how long it took, but four or five months working together, we realized that we had a good thing going. And I was probably the slowest one to come to the conclusion, but I do remember there were a lot of times that I was hustling because I didn't want them to not need me. It got to the point to where it was like, I like these guys, we're good together. I need to hustle so that they can see that I provide value because I wanted to stay part of that team. And somebody actually verbalized it. Eric called me once and he's like, Hey, I've been talking to Brian. He's like, we both really, really like this team. What would you think about making it permanent? And I hadn't verbalized it yet, but I realized that subconsciously I was hustling to keep these guys liking me. And when he said that, I'm just like, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So that was really the genesis of four Oaks. And We've modified duties and responsibilities as things pop up. We're undergoing a little bit more of a period right now where there's a lot of change in our structure just to make sure that we can handle the properties that we have right now and bring new acquisitions in. Uh, A lot of growth and a lot of moving parts, so to speak. But end of the day, we always agree that what's good for the company is what's good for all of us. And that's essentially how we conduct business. Because a lot of people, they know that networking is a big part of this business. So I want to get your opinion on, there's a ton of groups out there. Some are virtual, some are in-person, some are paid, some are free, some are very expensive. Do you think that there's a correlation between free and paid or virtual and in-person? Is one better or worse than the other? What is your advice out there to people that are out there actively networking, looking to build that team where they can kind of narrow down the masterminds or the groups that they sort of prioritize? I think the paid groups end up being better. And the reason why is because if you've got to pay a thousand or 10,000, or in my case, for my coaching program, $25,000, you are a lot more committed than the people that hang out at the free events. I mean, it doesn't take anything except for 30 minutes or an hour of your time to hang out at a free event. And then there's a lot of people that show up to the free events over and over and over and over again that never get anything done. So I think the level of commitment is different for somebody who shows up to a free event as opposed to somebody who's willing to drop five or even I've heard of some people paying six figures for different coaching, mentorship, life coach programs. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the programs may be better or worse. It's just that 
part of paying that big dollar amount signals your commitment. Now, usually with the bigger dollar amounts, you get more, better access to experts. You get, in a lot of cases, a personal coach who can mentor you through the how the business works. And you get a lot of curated content, content that's developed with people like you in mind. I got a podcast. We've put out 210 episodes. I don't remember, but you can get all the information by going through those 210 podcasts. We talked about everything there is to talk about, about this business. 210 hours is like a week and a half of just straight listening. You kind of have to sift things out. It's kind of like a puzzle. You get one piece from this episode, one piece from that episode. Whereas when you go into the groups, the pay to play programs, usually somebody has curated the content, put it right straight in order and hey, this is step one, this is step two, this is step three. And personal plug, if I might, that's what we've done with our Tribe of Titans is taken 200 and something episodes worth of talking to expert investors and said, these are the best practices. This is the best way to find deals. This is the best way to raise capital and kind of distilled it down into what I've learned over weeks and weeks of time, recording podcasts, editing podcasts and whatnot. So tell us a little bit more about Tribe of Titans. I mean, it's something that I'm a part of personally, and it's just like any group, you're going to get out what you put into it. There's a little bit of a motivation to the group and you can be as involved or uninvolved really as you like. You can maybe just use it for the content or I personally like it for the networking and things like that. Mm -hmm. So dive in a little bit more about that. The group has some education in there, has some networking, you know, just kind of give us an overview of the Tribe of Titans and what the goal is and the vision is for that and what people get out of it. We wanted to be a one-stop shop. And like I said, I was part of several groups. Some were good at networking, some were good at content. But in my mind, it's kind of taking the best of everything that we were exposed to. And among our partners, we we've now have five partners instead of four. We added Cronty last spring. So he's been with us six or seven months now. But between all of our partners, we paid for content through coaching from Michael Blanc, Rod Cleave, Neil Bawa, Hunter Thompson, Joe Fairless. I mean, we've been involved with a lot of big name programs and systems. Oh, Jake and Gino as well. They're pretty cool. But we've seen what a lot of them do. And we essentially said, these are the best practices. Let's put them all in one place. And there's still a lot to be added to what we do, but we do have a fair amount of educational content in there. Right now, I've got a very basic course on multifamily, which people like you, you're probably looking at that stuff and saying, hey, that's good to go. But I understand a lot of it, but I'm doing a in-depth capital raising course right now. And I'm about two thirds of the way through creating the content on that one. So the coursework is there and more coursework is coming. As soon as I'm done with the capital raising course, I'm moving to the deal finding course. Incidentally, we put a poll in for the tribe members, you know, which one do you guys want first? And the answer was the capital raising course. I kind of thought the deal finding course would come first, but (laughs) And then we also have a lot of events. So every time somebody in the group closes on a deal, we do a case study. And we've got enough people closing on deals that we've averaged two case studies a month. About 150 people in the Tribe of Titans right now. And a lot of them are closing on deals, which is awesome. So you have case studies, you're learning from people who are doing. One of the big name masterminds that I was in a couple of years ago, it was almost like the blind leading the blind. All the coaching students in one group and none of them had done anything, but they're trying to, oh, this is how you do it. So we have a lot of people who are closing on deals, who are managing properties in the group as well. We also have like the Ask Four Oaks Anything. Me or one of my partners will get on once a week 
and just log on. And if you have questions about underwriting, you ask about underwriting. If you have questions about asset management or raising capital, you ask the questions. So it's like a free group mentoring session. We do charge 30 bucks a month to be part of the group, which is almost free in this industry. It's almost, it's <laughs> almost free. I've seen other people charge $200 for similar content per month. And a lot of just different networking events. We have all of those and we have a toolbox as well where we put the LOI that we use in there. We have a cover letter on every LOI we send in. We've got the cover letter that we use in there. We've got copies of sample contracts. We've got PPMs, private placement memorandums. We have like a bunch of video archives as well. So every one of these deal, every one of these case studies that we do, every time we bring a guest speaker in, we record it and we throw it in the platform. So there is something for everybody. There's a lot of good people doing deals that a new person can learn from. And a lot of these good people that are doing deals are looking to get to the next level. They're looking for maybe another partner or something else. And they're able to sift through the group to find somebody. I mean, the partner aspect of it, because the education is fantastic. I mean, I've personally taken part in a lot of it. And for me, it was a big, you know, I want to meet new people in the space, other people in the space. When it comes to finding partners, is that a huge focus of the Tribe of Titans? Or is that something that you still feel like, hey, maybe they should be in person? Or what's your advice for people who are looking to build specifically that team as well? Nothing beats in-person meetings. But when you're starting out, I think volume matters. You kind of have to talk to a lot of people and... We have a weekly event, which is not exclusive to the Tribe of Titans. We have a weekly networking event every Friday that's kind of like speed dating. And several people have formed partnerships from that weekly networking event. We throw people into breakout rooms, three to four people into a breakout room for 12 to 15 minutes. And I found out several months later, I was sitting at the Michael Blount conference where we met in person for the first yep. time, somebody at the conference came up to me and said, Hey, we're closing on a deal next week. I just wanted to thank you. I'm like, why? I had nothing to do with it. They're like your Friday networking event. I met my partners there and we're closing on a 60 unit deal in the next couple of weeks. So I started pulling the string and started asking other people I knew in the group that had closed on deals and there are five or six partnerships that have formed from that event. So Zoom, I think, is amazing. It's one of these things where you can meet so many people, but you need to do it smartly. Go to the events where there's going to be good people, and there's a lot out there. I mean, ours is really good. We get 40 to 50 people every time, and a lot of them are doing deals. But if you can go to the events where you have high-quality people and you have some interaction time, that's where you're going to find your partners. If you're one of 100 people watching Brandon Turner speak, you're not going to meet anybody else. That's not networking. I think if you're looking for partners, you've got to focus on the events where you're most likely to find the partners. And if you can do it in person, even better. But since it's kind of hard to travel across the country, a lot of times to meet people, (laughs) do Zoom. And then when you have opportunities to meet face-to-face, take up those opportunities. Absolutely. I mean, a lot of times those partnerships form, are you seeing them being multiple newer people in this space? Are you seeing a new person with somebody more seasoned? What do Mm -hmm. you think is kind of the best case scenario? And if it is somebody who wants a more seasoned partner, how can they go about attracting somebody that's more seasoned and really providing enough Mm -hmm. value to be worth that person's time? In our networking events on Fridays, there are a handful of guys that have been in the industry for 10 or 15 years, and they are in there looking for talent. And so a lot of it is just to be successful in this, you have to be good at something. You have to be good at 
underwriting, or you have to be good at marketing, or you have to be good at something. There are a lot of experienced people that are looking for somebody young and hungry. And when I say young, I'm not talking about physical age, but experience level, young and hungry, really wanting to get into the business. So there are experienced people looking for those types. And I know of two different instances, just from our group, where two experienced guys have latched on to some up and comers and have brought them into the fold. But there's also, just like Four Oaks came together, a couple of guys that were hustling to find their first deal that came together. There's a lot of that as well. Um, But really, I would say if you're looking for the partner, you need to ask yourself the question, what do I need to do or who do I need to become in order to be an attractive partner to somebody else? And if you can answer that question honestly and work towards becoming that person, you'll be able to find a partner. So that's really what it comes down to is make yourself an attractive partner. Learn a skill, learn how to underwrite, learn how to raise capital, start posting on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram about what you're doing. Start growing your investor network. Do one of these things or two of these things and do them very well. And the people who are looking for partners, and some people don't know they're looking for partners, but the people who are looking for partners will see it. And eventually you're going to hit pay dirt. Absolutely. That's fantastic. So really finding what you're good at and continuing to be good at it, right? I mean, huge advocate of continued education. Like I said, if it's marketing, really dive into marketing, be the marketing guy or girl for Mm -hmm. a team, underwriting, continue that education, get deep into market. So I love all that advice, Brian. I'd love to ask you something. I ask all the guests that come on the show, walk us through your most challenging deal and what listeners can learn from it. We've had a lot of challenges just recently. The biggest challenge we've had has been with our third-party management companies. We've had one or two companies that we've worked with that we've ended up parting ways with. But when we go in and we're doing C-class value-added stuff, part of the challenges we've had is finding a management company that can handle the full spectrum. And what we found so far is we've had one company that's really good at one part of the business, but really crappy at another. One company that we were with for about a year, year and a half was really good at collections. We never had a problem with collections. We didn't have any bad debt, but their back office stuff was terrible. I mean, they would occasionally forget to pay water bills. We once had a $2,700 late fee from the water company because of the property management. I mean, when you look at the challenges, um, comes down to the adage, you know, hire slow, fire quickly. I don't think we spent enough time hiring these individuals. We listen to what they say and the honeymoon period is always nice. You know, everybody's putting their, their best dress on, best foot forward during the first couple of months. But once we get to three, four or five months into it, you can see what people are doing well and what they're not. And I think the biggest problem we had is we want our priorities to be the property management priorities. With one particular company, it was not the case. And we realized that it was never going to be the case. They weren't going to change their operations to match our business plan. And so that was a big challenge for us. We ended up making a tough decision to go with a different management company to bring new people in and hopefully be able to turn that corner and get better management going. So a lot of vagueness in there just because... I don't want to torpedo these guys, the the management companies or whatnot, but that's kind of been the biggest challenge we've had of late. If somebody is a new operator in a market and they may not have that deep or intimate knowledge of the management companies and they're more or less 
kind of forced to just take their value at their word. And besides seeing how many asks them the management, they could maybe ask for some referrals or for some references, but of course they're going to get the best references or they're going to sing their praises. What are some steps that listeners can take when vetting management companies to really make sure that their values align and that their strengths align with the business plan that they're looking to execute? Great question. And when you find an answer, call me. (laughs) Part of it is location. You want to have a solid location. Part of the management is in the acquisitions process. If it's a 40-minute drive from the major metro where all these property management companies are headquartered, you're probably not going to get a lot of good service. And we do have one or two properties off the beaten path. Most of ours are in metro areas, but you want the property managers to be responsive. And so properties that are easier to manage are going to get managed better. The larger properties are typically easier to manage from a certain respect because you have on-site staff. But on the flip side, sometimes you're going to get smaller management companies that can really knock these 20 to 40 unit properties out of the park. So a lot of it is understanding what the management companies are good at, what their niche is, and what their typical clientele is. I was actually talking to my partner about this right before coming on the show One of the management companies that we had was a very much a C-class, C-minus class business type. That was the mindset of the people who worked there. And most people that work there, you look at them and you can imagine them living in a C-class property. I mean, it was probably a little better than that, but they were good at managing C-class clientele. Property manager that we're with right now, you kind of look at what they manage and how they manage. And it's apparent now, and maybe we should have put more into this earlier, but they're more of a B-class clientele management company. And that's why one company crushed the collections is because they had that C-class mindset. And the C-class tenant sometimes is late paying and they would just walk up and down, knock on the door and, you know, hey, George, hey, Bob, hey, Bill, hey, Susie, and be able to get the collections in. So part of it, I think, is just looking at their portfolio. What do they have in their portfolio that looks like what you're purchasing? We've agreed to partner with a couple of our tribe members on a small property in Augusta, Georgia. And I spent an hour on the phone with the property manager yesterday, the one that we're selecting to manage the property and asking a lot of these questions. I'm like, hey, this is B-class 80s build. Tell me, what other stuff right in that area are you managing that's B-class 80s build? Fortunately, he's like, yeah, we've managed this one down the street. It was built in 82. He had all the right answers. Um, End of the day, I think a lot of it is just understanding what their niche is and making sure you fit in that niche. Wow, that's fantastic. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Tons and tons of great value. Listeners, if you haven't already, head down to the show notes, download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Building Generational Wealth and Passive Cash Flow Through Multifamily Real Estate. Now, Brian, how can listeners get in touch with you? Best way, we got a couple of websites. People interested in investing, that's the Four Oaks Capital website. It's fouroakscapital.com, super simple. People interested in our educational community, it's thetribeoftitans.com or thetribeoftitans.info. Both slightly different web pages. I can never remember which one's which. One's more of a promotional, one's more of a here's where you sign up. But check them both out and... If you really want to get my time and get a hold of me, be a member of the Tribe of Titans. And every time somebody posts, my goal is within a couple of hours to respond to their posts. So 
that's really the best way to get my time right now. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brian, for coming on. And listeners, thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you on the next episode.